Hey, we're continuing our series called 2020 Vision. Uh, We recognize as we enter a new year, we are also entering a new decade. And so we thought how appropriate for us to look at where God has brought us from and the mission and the vision that has carried us to this date. And as we go through a season of transition to look to the future, what we realize is that we need to get our focus, um, our focus clearly uh, in on Jesus. Because Jesus is our leader. He is the head of the church. And so it's our job, it's his job to lead, it's our job to follow. But we're not going to follow his direction if we can't see clearly what he's saying to us. And so we've been looking, uh, re-examining, if you will, the vision and the mission uh, for this church and the purposes for which God has put us here. And so um, we've been going through this series reminding ourselves of the mission And we recognize that this church is a mission-driven church. Uh, It has been virtually for its entire existence. This church was started around the idea of reaching this community, right? It started in Mitchell, and the idea was to reach that community. And as it's grown, God has has broadened that mission to the whole region. And so we, we just recognize that the reason that's happened in part is because there was an obedience to step up on the part of this church by its leadership and those that were a part of it to step up and to um, step into that mission that God has uh, had for this church. And so we want to just continue that. We don't want to, these these things can drop off, they can fade, we can lose our focus on them, but we want to stay just zeroed in and honed in on what has caused this church to become what it is. And so what is the mission? What is the vision for this church? As we look at it, we see that um, this was come up some, come up with some time ago, but this is how it's phrased um, for us as a church. This is our mission statement. We exist to see people saved, we, to see saved people grow, and to encourage believers to reach the next person. And so uh, we exist, right, to reach people, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. As I've said before, we're not a, a church that's just about us but we're really here for this community in a lot of ways. We recognize that we need to be a place where people can hear the gospel, and we're inviting people to come and join us. And then we want to see believers grow. We want to see uh, those who are here that have trusted in Jesus have the opportunity to move. We recognize through this series that we're not supposed to stay in the same place. We don't come to Jesus and then stay in the same place in our maturity, our spiritual maturity, but there's movement and growth that's supposed to be happening, and we recognize that as a church. And then the last part of our mission statement, which is what we're going to focus on today, is that we want to encourage each believer who's here to reach the next person. And so today, we, uh, the title today is 2020 Vision, His Mission, meaning God's mission, our focus. And this week we're looking at mission. We've looked at the five purposes of the church. We've been moving through those, and we've looked at worship. We've looked at discipleship. We've looked at fellowship and how God has really designed the church and made us as believers to focus in on these purposes. And when we focus in on purpose, we, have, uh, we, have, uh, uh, we, we know why we're doing what we're doing, okay? We're not just putting out effort and energy and resources, but it's, it's focused again on the right things. And so this week, we're looking at the purpose of mission, that God has called us as a church to live on mission. As I said, that's what this church has been about from its inception. And that God calls each one of us as individuals to live on mission. 
And so our key scripture today that help us see this purpose for the church, they're found in uh, Matthew chapter 28, which is the Great Commission. This is where Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we know that Jesus said to his disciples, go. And since we're his disciples today, he continues to tell us to go. That is the command that he gives us. That's um, the mission that he calls us to, to go. And then we also are looking at Matthew 22, where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said two things. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which we looked at the first week when we, uh, when we studied worship. And then he said this, love your neighbor as yourself. The second, which is equally important. So it's equally important that we love God. We know we're supposed to do that. Equally important that we love our neighbor. And so these are our key scriptures as we look at this purpose. That God calls us to mission. He calls us out to serve him and to go after those, excuse me, those who don't yet know him. And so God's purpose, his mission for us as a church, continues as we go on mission together. Today, if you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to focus in on Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at quite a bit of this passage. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, I know there's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. If you didn't bring one, or you can look on your Bible app on your phone. And of course, the Bible app is version that we use, and we put sermon notes in there and, um, and, uh, and the scripture and everything, so you can have access to that and study it and look at it more throughout the week if you want. But Luke chapter 10, we're going to study and look at this passage and from it glean some transferable principles that God has for us, I think, today that we can follow as we go on mission for him. As we get started, though, um, I'd like to lead us in prayer if I could. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place, to worship together, to learn together, to grow together. Father, I just pray that you'd speak clearly to us, that your word and what you want us to glean from your word would come through clearly, that each one of us, with eyes to see and ears to hear, would, would receive your word and understand what you're saying to each one of us. God, I pray for that in the name of Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, a couple of principles uh, guide us as we live on mission for Jesus. As we look at Luke chapter 10, we start in verse 1. The first principle, I think, is this, that Jesus sends us on mission. Jesus is the one who sends us on mission. It's not the pastor. It's not the church, right? Though, though uh, hopefully God uses the pastor and uses the church to help us get out on mission. It's really Jesus is the one who is behind this. He's the one that sends us. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, you can follow along. This is what it says. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to tell all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Jesus calls out 72 of his disciples. Now let me be clear. This particular mission that Jesus sends his disciples on has a specific purpose. Jesus came to the earth, God in the flesh. Fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. That was God's chosen, promised one. 
Jesus came to the earth. He began to, when he started his ministry, he began to travel around through Israel, sharing the message of the kingdom and saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is here. I'm the Messiah, the chosen one, the promised one. And so this was his mission here on earth. Initially, that's what Jesus came to do was to, um, to call Israel once again to follow God and to trust him and believe him and see him as the Messiah and to establish the kingdom of God. And so this particular mission that Jesus sends these 72 out on was to prepare the way. They were going to the villages and towns and they were to enter them and to share the message of the kingdom and tell them, look, Jesus is coming. He's the Messiah. And so it has a specific purpose, this mission. But again, I want us to look at this today and glean transferable principles that we can learn for our mission and for the mission that God calls us on. Because I think we can see in this how God operates. Jesus' heart for people, his heart to reach the world. And so we can see that in this passage. From these, these uh, first four verses, some things that I see in here. And you may see some different things, and I encourage you to study this and look, look at it and, and glean from it what God is calling you to. But these are some things that I see in this passage, that Jesus picks everyone for a specific mission. He chose these 72 for a specific mission. But we know from the scriptures that Jesus has called his entire church, all of his disciples, to go and make disciples. And so we're called on mission. But we also see in the lives of individuals as they follow Jesus, this call to mission. Call to mission. Go. Go. And Jesus calls, I believe, to each one of us who follow him to go on mission. There is something that he has for us to do. There's a mission he has for us to accomplish. And I've certainly experienced this throughout my life, that call to go on mission. I've seen others experience it. And I know it is a common theme and thread for people who are following Jesus. Not just for our missionaries that we send around the world, like Travis and Nikki Ray and others. That is one particular mission. They've been called to a specific mission, and it's to go to another country or to another town or to serve in a particular area. But listen, can I encourage you with this? If you're a part of the church of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be called to mission. You're going to be called to go on mission. I used to be scared to death. I'd say, God, don't call me to go to Africa. You know, as a little kid, it just seemed like that's where all the missionaries went. You know, I'm like, I don't know that I want to go to Africa. God, please don't call me to Africa. So, so he didn't call me to Africa, which I was thankful for. But he did call me uh, into some other mission, right, that, that was no, no easier than going to Africa. But here's the truth of it. Uh, Jesus works with how he's designed us. God has made us and he's developed us and shaped us. We have a core class here called Discovering Your Shape, and that's to discover how God's designed you to serve. But he calls us out on ministry. Second principle I see in this passage is that it all begins with prayer. The mission of God is simply that. It's his mission. And we are called into it to serve alongside of Jesus in his mission. So if we're not praying, if we're not connected to God, if we're not listening to the voice of God, connected to what he's doing and what he wants done, then we'll do some good work, but it may not be his mission. And so we've got to stay connected to him in prayer. Prayer is also that, that um, powerful force that uh, goes ahead of us. It opens the door when we pray and we ask God to move in the areas in which we're engaged. And so prayer becomes essential. We will not produce anything good if we're not connected closely to God and constantly in prayer. 
The third thing I see here is that we engage, or excuse me, there, Jesus says this, and this is kind of a principle that I see in this passage, is that this truth. There is never a lack of work, only a lack of workers. Never a lack of work. There's always ministry to be done, the work of God to be done. Wherever there are people, there is a need. There are, uh, there are, um, there's ministry, if you will, that needs to be done. The problem in all of this, Jesus says, is there not enough workers? That's always the deficit. And so he says to pray to the Lord of, who, who's in charge of the harvest. Pray that he would send more workers. And, and I'm just going to tell you, that's what I've been praying since uh, I got to this church. I've been praying that God would raise up more workers from this church, from outside this church, that God would bring the workers needed to accomplish the mission God has for us. Maybe you would be an answer to that prayer. Maybe God would call you to step up and step into um, a mission, a ministry, or to go on mission for God. The next thing I see here is that we are engaging an evil world, and thus there is danger involved in the mission. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. They're going to want to devour you and tear you up. It's a dangerous world I'm sending you into. And so that's the reality. When we go into the world, we're trying to reach people. We go with peace and love. We bring the spirit of God, right? Not a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of, uh, of love. And that's what we go with. And yet the world around us is a dog-eat-dog world. People are tearing each other apart, trying to get what they want. We can be sucked into that at times. But the reality is we're outside of that call to live for Jesus according to his will and by the principles of his kingdom. And so it's different. We're going to face opposition when we go on mission. There are people that are going to come against us and want to stop us. The enemy will use people to come against us, to make our lives miserable, to bring uh, frustration into our world, to slow us down on our mission. You can count on it. But the truth of it is that Jesus calls us to that. That is the reality. We've got to be aware. There's a cost involved. There's going to be a struggle involved. It is a war. It's, it's not just a, 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 it's not just a, a soft, you know, um, playtime practice to go on mission. It's not just a positive, fun thing. It's not just a mini vacation to go on mission. It's intense. It's spiritual warfare. So we've got to recognize that. The last thing I see in this passage is that we must stay dependent on Jesus and focused on our mission. Jesus tells these particular disciples, don't take anything with you. Don't take any provisions. Don't take uh, extra sandals. Just go. And I think in that, we see, and this was, this was a short-term missions trip that these guys went on, but we see in that that we must trust in Jesus. We've got to stay dependent on him. If we're going to move into mission, and we're going to live on mission in our individual lives or as a church, there's a dependency on Jesus that we've got to walk in. Never thinking that we can handle it all ourselves. Never thinking that we can, okay, okay, we've got enough money to do this, so let's go ahead and take it on. Okay, we can afford to do that, right? No, we, we've got to stay dependent on Jesus. The mission that he calls us to is bigger than we can afford. Let me assure you of that. It's bigger than we can do on our own. And this church has seen that happen. Taking on, uh, you know, just building this building. It was way beyond what the, the individuals involved could ever have dreamed could happen. They could not afford it. And yet God provided because he sent them on mission. They were being obedient to that call. This is the way we live. Dependent on Jesus, focused on him. 
if we get our eyes off him, if we start to think we can do it, then we're sunk. We will, we will fail. Listen, as we look at the mission of God and living on mission, one of the pieces of this that's so important is the motivation. Stay motivated to continue to press forward. Mission is aggressive, right? There's a lot of things we do as followers of Jesus that are, that are more passive. They don't take an aggressive posture. But mission, in mission, Jesus said, go. Go into the world. Make disciples. It's an aggressive action. It's an aggressive uh, position. And so it requires motivation to stay in the battle. And so oftentimes, as we walk with God, we begin, perhaps, when we're younger, pretty motivated and excited, and we want to see God's work done. But inevitably, as we serve God over our lives, we begin to struggle. And our motivation can wane and drop off. And so I wanted us to look at a particular passage here where the Apostle Peter actually deals with this issue. And he looks at it, you know, in the first hundred years of the church, Peter addresses this issue that many were wondering about, which I hear people today wondering about, followers of Jesus, which is, when is Jesus going to come back? <laughs> Why is it taking so long? The world is going, uh, going downhill. Things are getting worse. It would just be better. Jesus, would you just come back? You'll make everything right. We begin to hope for that and wish for that. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter, talking to the believers at, at, in his era, he, he said these words. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, in, in regards to Jesus' return. He says this, a, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire. The elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he, had, he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're awaiting for these things to happen... Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. What a powerful passage. Peter writing to the early church saying, listen, I want you to stay motivated. I want you to stay uh, focused on Jesus. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. Wanting him to return is fine. You can pray for it. But there's a reason behind the delay. There's a couple things I see in this passage that are keys for us to stay motivated on our mission. One is that God is not bound by time. He's not bound by time. God is outside of time and space. You know that, right? When he looks down at our existence, he sees all of it at the same time. He sees the beginning, creation. He sees the end, the final destruction, and the final judgment. He sees it all at the same time. It's not a progression for him like it is for us. And so here we are inside of time and space, and all we know is this reality. And yet God doesn't measure when he's going to send Jesus back to the earth in, in terms of time. I just thought of this as I was studying this week. You know, how many people would be in eternity if Jesus had come back 
in the first hundred years? How many people would be in heaven if he came back in 500 years, a thousand years? You know, I really believe that God wants heaven to be filled with people that have trusted in him, that have, that have been saved through his son Jesus, and fill heaven. He wants to spend eternity with millions of us. He loves us. And this is his heart and desire. So his delay in returning is not based on the fact that he's waiting on time. But he has a purpose because it's people that Jesus died for. And so I think this is how God is measuring when he'll return. God's heart is that all would be saved. His heart is for his creation. It's for people. And God knew all of those who would exist. He's had a plan and a purpose. And he knew that you would exist. And he died so that you could become uh, saved. So you could enter his family. But do you, do you know this? That Jesus' heart is for all of his creation and all those that he has made, even your neighbor. And I'm talking about the neighbor that you wish would move to a different neighborhood. You know what I mean? Could you just go be somebody else's neighbor? <laughs> could you bless somebody else with, with your presence? You know what I mean? I've had neighbors like that. Listen, I know. Yet, yet the, the reality is this, that God loves even that neighbor. And his desire is even that they would become a follower of his, that they would get saved. They would learn to trust in him. See, this is God's heart. I want to caution you to be careful of wanting Jesus to return, even though we're, we're told we can pray for that. I understand the desire to see Jesus return and to see things made right. But can I tell you this? Jesus' return doesn't just mean that we'll get to go be with him in heaven and that the world will be made right, but it means a pronouncement of judgment on the earth. And it's, a, it's going to be a terrible thing. It's going to be a terrible thing for those that haven't trusted in Jesus. And so be careful, be a little cautious of praying just that Jesus returned. But continue to pray for the salvation of the people around you, right? Our motivation needs to be with an understanding. We're not looking for judgment to be brought on the earth, though its time will come, but that our hearts would be for those that don't yet know Jesus and haven't been saved. While you're waiting for Jesus' return, live a holy life. That's what I see from this passage. Let's live our lives for Jesus. He could return at any moment. It's called the imminent return of Christ, that he could return at any moment. There aren't things that need to happen before Jesus can return. He could return at any time, and that's what this passage tells us. Peter is saying, stay motivated, <laughs> stay, stay purposeful, because our Savior could return at any moment. God's patience means that we can see more people saved. And so this is our heart. This is our desire as a church. Remember, that's our mission statement. We exist to see people saved. And so this allows us to continue our mission and to pull more people into heaven. I used to have a friend that would say, you know, he'd say, brother, I'm praying for you. Uh, let's just fill heaven. Let's fill heaven with people um, who love Jesus. And so we need to see our lives from that point, that that's part of the purpose for us being here. The longer Jesus' return is delayed, the more time you have to reach your neighbor. Matthew 22, I mentioned earlier, is this great commandment. And the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God, right? And then he said, equally important is to love your neighbor. Question for us, are we loving and reaching our neighbors? Are we staying motivated that this is why God has us here? Uh, we did a series when I first got here called Be the Message. And it was all about uh, being on mission and living on mission, being the hands and feet of Jesus and the voice of Jesus, speaking words of truth in love to those that we interact with in three arenas, in the areas we work, in the area we live, in the area we play. 
that it's a simple thing, that God's just put us on this earth to impact others. Catherine Booth was the mother of the Salvation Army. Wherever Catherine Booth went, said Campbell Morgan, humanity went to hear her. Princes and princesses mixed with paupers and prostitutes. One night, Morgan shared in a meeting, Mrs. Booth spoke, and a great crowd of publicans and sinners came to hear her speak. Her message brought many to Christ. After the meeting, Morgan and Mrs. Booth went to, uh, to be entertained in a fine home. And the lady of the manor said, My dear Mrs. Booth, that meeting was dreadful. Well, what do you mean, dearie? Asked Mrs. Booth. Oh, when you were speaking, I was looking at the people opposite me. Their faces were so terrible, many of them. I don't think I'll be able to sleep tonight. Why, dearie, don't you know them? Mrs. Booth asked. And the hostess replied, well, certainly not. Well, that's interesting, said Mrs. Booth. I didn't bring them with me from London. They're your neighbors. How are we doing at loving our neighbor? You know, uh, there's a beautiful thing that God has placed us on this earth, and we're, we're unique. We fit into sort of a segment of the population. And yet, Paul said, as we looked at last week, that when we come into the church, there isn't any of those divisions. We're the same. And if we go on mission into the world, we've got to recognize that God is calling us to reach the people around us regardless of how much of a mess they are, regardless of how different they are from us, that God's calling us into their lives to love them and care for them and express to them the truth of who God is. Let's remember that we're commanded to love our neighbors and that we're a church that invites sinners to come worship with us. And can I tell you that you have a sinner in the pulpit, okay? (laughs) I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be. And if it weren't for Jesus, I know what my life would look like. He rescued me when I was very young. But I know, I know what my sin nature would do. And I know where I would be. And so the reality is that we all walk in that. And so we're a church that says, listen, come and worship with us. We recognize that your life isn't all cleaned up. Jesus doesn't say, get everything right before you can come to me. And so we don't say that as a church. We say, listen, you can come as you are. You can invite your friend. Come and listen. Come and hear the gospel. Now listen, we don't endorse sin. We don't endorse sin, right? If the scripture says it's wrong, if God says it wrong, then we agree with him. And we say, yeah, that's wrong. It's sin. And we're, we're called to repent, right? And turn from our sin. To confess what we're doing is wrong. And that's what we're, we're working for is that we would be in agreement with what God says. And each one of us walk in that. But we're not looking for a place full of perfect people. We're a place of people that need a Savior. That's what we're called to. Let's join together to love on and to reach our neighbors. Let's don't just pray for Jesus' return, but pray for the salvation of the people around us. Second principle that we see in this passage, Luke chapter 10, is that when we go on mission, so it's Jesus that calls us. The second thing is that you go with authority. You go with authority. Luke chapter 10, continuing in verse 5, you can follow along as I read. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, 
We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on, a judge, on judgment day. And then Jesus goes on to pronounce judgment on some of the towns that have rejected him. And so what can we see from this bit of this passage? I think what, it, what we're seeing here is that when Jesus sent his disciples on mission, they went with his authority, with his power. See, um, as we walk out on mission, as we leave this place and go into our working world and our neighborhoods and the places where we interact with people, we need to walk with a confidence and the knowledge that we've been sent with the authority of God. That is, that is how we go. So how do we go with authority? Well, there's a couple things I see here. One is that you bring with you, when you go on mission, when you go into the world, you bring God's blessing wherever you go. The truth is that in our workplaces, we work there amongst people that don't know God and don't believe in him. Our lives are different. But we behave in such a way that we reflect God. When we do that, we bring a blessing into our workplace. Those of you that are employers, you can affect more of your, the environment with the, with the presence of God by, um, by encouraging people, right, by the way you set up the business. Those of us that are employees, <clears throat> we work in such a way that we honor God. We're not working for our employer, we're working for God. So these things um, cause us to bring a blessing into the places that we live. <clears throat> when we go, when we interact with people, there will be those that want nothing to do with us. You probably have a coworker that doesn't like you. <laughs> and, and it just seems like you're just like, what's wrong? Like, I keep trying to love on them. I keep trying to do the right thing. They keep rejecting me. Listen, that's the reality. There are those that will re be resistant to who we are as people of God. Don't want anything to do with it. And we will experience that. So when we go, we bring a blessing. But this passage says that the blessing isn't received. Right? It will return to us. You can't give someone a blessing if they don't want it. And so that's part of what we need to realize. But we go with that authority. We're bringing the, bringing the blessings of God to the people around us. Those we are trying to help, according to this passage, need to have some skin in the game. Right? When you reach out and you, you, ex, you expend energy and time and effort to minister to people and to, to bless their life, this passage teaches us they need to have some ownership in that. They need to step up and grab a hold of it. He said there'll be a response when you go into a town and you go into a home and you say, this is why we're here, if you're in the right home, they're going to respond. They're going to take care of you. They're going to feed you and provide for you. He said, receive it. I think the principle here is that when we look to go on mission as a church, we look to invest. We're not just wanting to pour in everything. We're looking for a response to that. We're looking for a response in the people that we bring the work of God to. It's just the principle of going on mission. I also see in this passage that you bring help and healing from God. He said to Jesus, said, go, heal the sick, right? Bring help and healing from God. If it's refused, though, move on. Don't stay in one place continuing to try to reach that group of people. There's a time to leave. There's a time to move on. You might have been trying to reach one particular person. God's put them on your heart. You're trying to reach them. No response. Listen, this would be a distraction, to focus on a person that's not responding and not turn to another person who would. But we can do that, right? Some of us that are competitive, like, I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm going to win you over. You know? And that's great. But let's be careful. There's a time and a season. And we need to prayerfully consider that. Listen, there are those 
that we work on and pray for for our entire lives. Family, people we love, that God's called us into their lives and we continue to pray for them and interact with them and work towards their salvation for over years. And I'm not saying that's wrong, certainly important. But there's a principle here of how we live on mission in the world that we live in. God's anger is aroused towards those who refuse our message. It's it's a big deal. When God sends you into the world, you and I into the world, and we go uh, bringing the message of God, hope and healing, the blessings of God, the message of salvation, when it's rejected, you just need to understand there's there's a spiritual uh, reaction. Like God's anger is aroused. I'm trying to say these things to let you know that there is power behind you as you go. You have the authority of God. You have the power of God. When you step into the world, we need to step in with some confidence to speak up, to represent Jesus. You are tasked with testifying to the salvation found through Jesus alone. It is a message of hope you bring to the world. And you and I need to step in with confidence. Now, there's times we just have passion, right? We can get fired up. Pastor's talking about going to share my faith. I need to go do it. I'm fired up. I'm going to leave church. I'm going to make that phone call. So passion can guide us and lead us. And, and it's okay, but we've got to be careful because confidence is really what we need to walk in. There was a, there's a story told of a barber um, who had just got saved at an old town revival, and he was fired up. He wanted to reach somebody, somebody for Jesus. And so there's a man sat down in his chair, and he's trying to think about how he's going to talk to him. And the man was there for a shave. And so this back in the days where he used a straight razor, you know, they still do that some places. But he was thinking about how is he going to say this. And all of a sudden, he just decided he put that razor right over the man's throat and said, are you ready to make a decision for Jesus? Okay, okay, listen, that's passion, you know, that's passion. You push a little too hard. Okay, uh, when I was uh, just getting into ministry, I took a youth group from Sargent, Nebraska to Omaha. We went into North Omaha, which is kind of the ghetto. We went up there, we we're going door to door. One of my students, uh, she was a little bit older, she was a leader, uh, she was fired up for Jesus. And so we go out door to door, we come back and we're telling stories about, uh, about how the day went. And so she told us this story, she went up to a home, knocked on the door and a lady came to the door and she opened the, the wooden door but wouldn't open the storm door, right? Had that in between her and, and the lady said, ma'am, we, we're here, we'd just like to talk to you about spiritual things. And of course, this was the middle of July in Omaha. I'm gonna tell you there's hotter places but I don't know where it'd be and hotter and humid, right? And the woman just said, uh, she said, little girl, it's too hot. I'm not gonna come out. I can't come out and talk to you. And my little student leader said this. She said, ma'am, if you think it's hot here today, Okay, listen. <clears throat> passion. I love it. She was fired up. She was passionate. But here's the thing. Passion can lead us to push a little too hard, right? To try a little too hard. We need to walk in confidence. Confidence. The confidence that God has sent us. That we know the truth. That we've been sent into the lives of people around us. Don't be afraid to influence the world around you as you can for Jesus. To use every opportunity. But when we're asked, we're not going beating people over the head, trying to win everybody. I got to win everybody to Jesus today. No, but I'm looking for those opportunities that God would open up. And I know that I have his authority behind me so that when I have that opportunity, I speak confidently, boldly, with an assuredness that I have God with me and I'm bringing hope of salvation. Can you share the gospel with somebody with confidence? Or do you step back a little bit? Oh, what's this going to do? What's it going to do to the relationship? How's this going to affect things? 
Can I just tell you this? I've been through, uh, live, lived and worked many places, worked in the secular world, worked in church, been around people, tried to share my faith. I have found that when you are real, when you are following Jesus and you really believe in him, and you take him into the world, and you interact with people, that they are not offended, right, when you share what you have, what you've found. When you love people and you love God, people see it, and they're interested in what you have. Can I tell you that God's calling us not to walk in fear and hesitation, but to go with his authority. Confidence leads to us being able to represent Jesus well and to lead others into a relationship with him. The last thing that I see here in this passage in Luke chapter 10 is that when we go and we live on mission, Jesus sends us, we go with authority, with his authority, and lastly, we need to trust God with the results. Trust God with the results. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 16, reading through verse 20, says this. Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we used your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over, over the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. The results of our work can go great. Uh, we can see uh, the enemies of darkness destroyed. We can see people's lives transformed and changed. And it can go bad. We can be rejected. We can be persecuted. We can have people hate us because we love Jesus. Both sides can happen. And the reality is as we move into mission, focusing on the results, what are the results? Did someone listen to me? Did they respond? Did they not? Do they not like me now? Am I worried about what they're going to think of me? See, these are worrying about the results. To worry about the results is to miss the point of going on mission. To miss it completely. We're not called into mission so that we can achieve and accomplish some great things. We're called into mission because God says to us, listen, Mitchell Brian, I could get my work done without you. I could do what I need to do in the world without you. Right? God doesn't need us to accomplish his work. The amazing thing is that he calls us in to an opportunity to invest in things that will last for eternity. We have the opportunity to invest in things in our life. We can invest financially. We can try to create gain, and that's a great thing. Build a business, uh, you know, create financial wealth. We live in a country where we have that opportunity. We can uh, take care of our families, and we can pass on a legacy to future generations. It's beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, we can invest in a family and work to, uh, to have children and to raise them. It's a beautiful thing. It can affect the future. We can invest in a community. We could create jobs or, or uh, you know, cause things to grow or build things in our community and build up this region. Beautiful thing. But can I just tell you, those things will not last for eternity. We have an opportunity that God's called us into to invest in the, in the lives of people. Joining Jesus in his ministry, in his work, allows us to invest in what will last forever. And it's a great, great privilege. Suppose that you were someone 
uh, or excuse me, suppose someone would offer you $1,000. So if I said this morning, listen, our church is going to invest in you guys. We'll give you $1,000 for each person that you will earnestly try to win to Jesus. If you'll just go after them, you'll share the gospel. You don't have to win them over, but you're going to earnestly try to win them over. Would that increase your motivation? Right? Because there's some money. <laughs> Listen, this is something to think about, man. This, this made me step back a minute. Would I go harder? Listen, I've been in sales. I've gone after sales. I've worked pretty hard at it. How hard do I work at winning people to Jesus? Is my motivation for money greater than my motivation to obey the commands that God's given us? To win souls for eternity. I grew up in a missionary home. I've served on the mission field. And can I tell you, there's some things I just want to cast a little vision here today. Uh, I've been looking and praying since I got here at things that God may want us to do as a church. I don't have specifics yet, but I have some vision. Okay? A little risky sharing this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it out there because God might speak to somebody here through this. I see the opportunity in this region to impact the lives of children. See, children uh, in our community, we watch, and I've talked to educators, I've talked to people in the schools and all kinds. There's a deficit there, right? Kids are struggling. Families are struggling. And there's an attack on children. And I know this, that in past generations, when things got bad in our country, one of the things that the churches did and the people of God did is they went after children. Children used to get bused to churches, right, for Sunday school. We used to go after them and get them because we knew that if we could grab those children and put Jesus in their hearts, get Jesus in their souls, that it would change the course of of, uh, their lives, right, for all eternity, and it would change our communities. We we, We sometimes mourn the decline in our culture, and yet I see an opportunity in this region to minister and to go after the hearts and minds of kids. And God has positioned us as a church uh, to have an opportunity. I don't know how that's going to happen yet. I just know that I see it, and I see us making an impact there. How about addiction? When I got to this community, I said, what's being done for addiction recovery? Because I know small-town Nebraska, and I know that the devil has a foothold in these communities with drugs and alcohol. I know it's rampant. What's being done? And as I looked at the community, I just said, not enough's being done. So I, I got a vision for you. And that is that this room is filled on a weeknight full of people that are looking for hope and recovery, not through uh, uh, you know, self-help, not through positive thinking, but through Jesus. And I believe it can happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just praying that God would raise up workers, that the vision would become reality. Look, some of us have fallen into that trap. We've struggled with addiction, and we know how powerful it is. And the force that it plays in our lives and in our community. We need to step up. We need to press into that. We need to fight against it. We have poverty is an issue I see in this region. You know, wherever the gospel goes around the world, it lifts people up. Out of poverty, it brings dignity. It brings independence. It brings a moral code and a moral behavior that lifts people up. Families we know are under attack. Strengthening the ministries of our church, our men's ministry needs to be rocking. Our women's ministry needs to be growing and vibrant so that we're encouraging men and women who are married to each other, who are in families together, that they're strong and healthy. Our children's ministry is so important that we continue to invest and build into it so that we're strengthening people. We need to come against the force of the enemy who seeks to destroy our families. My challenge for you today is don't quit living on mission. 
We as a church cannot quit living on mission, following Jesus into the world, following him to make a difference. You know, um, part of my story is my mom's story. And when she was, I think, nine or 10 years old, her mom passed away. And her dad fell into depression. Uh, he started drinking and, <clears throat> and uh, spent all of her childhood and all of what I remember of being around him. Uh, he was just drunk nearly every time that we were around him. And so he fell into that. My, my mom had two younger sisters. So there were three girls and they had no mom. They lived with their grandma in a very poor, impoverished situation. They had nothing and there was dysfunction all around them, alcoholism all around them, fighting all around them. And my mom, this is the situation she was in. The best that she got was on a Sunday if my, my grandpa would take her to the Mormon church and, uh, and she would get Sunday school there. But the problem with that was they taught her things like Jesus and Satan are brothers. The Elohim is their father, literally. And Jesus, because of what he did, obeying uh, and living out uh, what God wanted, he became the God of this world. And if you do that, if you follow Jesus' example, you could be the God of a world, right? Uh, just So this is what she had. But at the same time, there was a missionary. There was a, or excuse me, there was a man, World War II vet, who uh, survived Pearl Harbor, uh, made it through the war, got out of the military, went to Bible college at Moody Bible Institute, and God called him on mission to go to Utah. So he ends up in Salt Lake City. He starts a church. He starts reaching people. And over 10 years, he worked to see one person get converted from Mormonism. He didn't see it. He, saw, uh, he, he got a church established. He saw uh, some people come to Jesus. But his, his passion was to reach the Mormons. Well, uh, along in a season of my mom's family, started having a lot of death. Uncles dying. There was a lot of death in her family. And so this missionary got connected to her family through that, did some funerals, and along the way invited my mom to church. She came to church and heard the gospel, and she responded. She trusted Christ. She was a young woman, 12 years old, I don't know. She'll correct me afterwards, I don't remember. But she was a young woman. Only believer in her family. And it's a mess. Her family's a mess. Well, she begins to follow Jesus. This missionary takes her into his home, uh, allows her to spend time with his family, you know, uh, let, her, let her be around a healthy environment. When she graduated high school, he said, listen, uh, you got to get out of here. Some Mormon boy is going to grab you and marry you, and I'm going to lose all the work I've done over the last few years. I'm going to send you out of here. So he sent her to Omaha, Nebraska, Grace College of the Bible, or Grace Bible Institute. And there, uh, she was bebopping around school, hanging out, and this young man who was in the Air Force uh, was hanging around school trying to meet, uh, meet girls, and he met my mom. And they, they got married. And nine months later, and I've done the math, nine months later, I came along. Now listen, do you know how thankful I am that there was a man? Okay, I hate getting them. It's, it's powerful. When we live on mission, when we listen to God, we follow him, amazing things can happen. You'll change the course of the future for others. Make an impact in the life of somebody you don't even know. You may not know what God does with your efforts. Don't give up. Let's keep working at it. Let's keep focused. Let's keep on mission as a church and see, just see what God wants to do. God, thank you so much for calling us as a church to live on mission for you, to walk with you. Thank you for the great privilege you give us to serve others and to build um, an inheritance for all eternity. Father, help us to stay connected to your mission, your calling. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.